Yo, podcast pals, quick word from our very good friends at Rudy's Barbershop with 29 shops across the country. Rudy's Barbershop is the original modern barbershop. Now they are bringing their 25 years of experience to a line of hair and body products that smell great and work effortlessly. All of Rudy's products, including shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more, are made in the USA, never tested on animals, and use only the best ingredients available. To learn more, my friends, visit rudysbarbershop.com. That's R-U-D-Y-S barbershop.com and enter offer code CARBS, C-A-R-B-S, to receive 25% off your first order from Rudy's website. Pals, a word from our friends at Knack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mac Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you are currently wearing. I am currently wearing Mack Weldon underwear, undershirt, and boxer briefs. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard, too. I have my Mack Weldon underwear working hard on belly expansion and belly contraction. Thank you for the flexible fibers. Very, very accommodating. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate unwelcome odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, keep them. They will still refund you, no questions asked. My friends, go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your purchase using the promo code CARBS. That's 20% off your purchase using promo code C-A-R-B-S, MacWeldon.com. Welcome back to another edition of How of Cars, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is, as you know, a food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, and I am your hungry host, Joe House. Very pleased today to bring you a special edition of House of Carbs. We are featuring a conversation with two giants of the Houston food scene, Chris Shepard of Underbelly and One Fifth, among other projects. And then we have Chef Justin Yu of Oxheart and his upcoming new restaurant, Theodore Rex. Justin is is a born and raised Houstonian. We wanted to talk to those guys and get uh, some perspective from them on what's going on down there in the Houston food community, how that food community has come together, the impacts on their businesses, what they're doing to support the community, and what we can all do uh, in terms of supporting their efforts to get Houston back up on its feet. And you know we're doing food news with Juliet Littman. What an episode of food news this week. We talked Chipotle. We talked Taco Bell. We talked Chili's. We talked Popeye's. We talked Queso. We talked fried chicken. We talked Ruby Chocolate. And I think Juliet and I are going on a food date next time in, I'm in Los Angeles. We're coming at you, Chili's. All right, my pals, let's get in that belly with Chef Chris Shepard, Chef Justin Yu, and of course, Chef David Chang. All right, podcast pals, here at House of Carbs, we have many rules in life, but one of the most important... When Chef Dave Chang makes a suggestion, we do what he says. Uh, Chef Chang has been thinking about how to make a contribution towards something meaningful for the Houston community, and he reached out to us and said, yo, let's, let's get a podcast together. And of course, uh, we said absolutely right away. Um, we are incredibly grateful today to have on the show, in addition to the mogul himself, Dave Chang, we have two pillars 
of the Houston Food Committee community, pardon me, Chef Chris she- Chris Shepard of Underbelly, among other projects, and Chef Justin Yu of Oxheart, uh, and now I think upcoming Theodore Rex, among other projects. Uh, everyone, welcome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for coming on. So, 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 Chef Shang, if you would kick off, would you please um, describe to the hungry people? Uh, what it is that you had in mind in terms of assembling um, all of this this great talent with Chris and Justin? Uh, I know we want to share some insight into what's going on on the ground there at Houston, but but let's let you put it in your own words and, and ask a question of Chris and, and Justin. Absolutely. So, um, you know, um, I think a lot of people within our organization and just people that I've spoken to in New York City were like, hey, how do we how do we help out besides offering assistance to the Red Cross or the Houston Mayor's Fund and such and such? Um, because those in the culinary industry in New York who have gone through September 11th and Hurricane Sandy, you know, that there's this resilience and camaraderie that we've seen. And, and there's been an outpouring on, like, hey, how do we help out? And no one really knows. And um, Justin and Chris are, are two of my good friends and I'm a huge fan of Houston and by no means am I someone that should talk uh, about Houston and what it's going through and and as much as I want to shed light on what's going on I thought the best way to do it is bring two of my brothers on your podcast who can tell us what's going on and how anyone can help out so that's 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 outstanding um Chris let's start with you first in terms of you know kind of the experience of of the past two weeks Obviously, um, you know, it was it was catastrophic and devastating for, for so much of the community. Um, what what has your personal experience been in terms of, of um, dealing with Harvey and what you've tried to do um, to try and, and you know, uh, get your, your feet back under you? Um, I mean, for the most part, like where I live and where our restaurants are, are, um, are, are in the middle of Montrose, which um, it stayed relatively dry for the most part. Montrose is quick to raise a lot of water and then get rid of it really quickly. Um, we don't really have a lot of bayous directly in our area, so it, it, it makes it a little bit easier um, when that happens. And, and, and we're a little bit, you know, we're fortunate to have that. Unfortunately, the rest of the city is based on a lot of bayous, so it didn't really, you know, it, it devastated a lot of our city. But for us, it was get farmers in, get everybody in, get as back to normal as possible and get our staff working and get, you know, our neighborhoods and people coming back into the restaurant. And, you know, they all needed a break just to get out. And so we spent, you know, a lot of time just trying to get it back up and running. Um, That's kind of how we did it. You know, you do what you can for the community and make sure that our staff is really good and staff is back and, you know, making money because that's what needs to happen. Yeah. And, And Justin, how about you? Um, we've fared a little bit less well than in Montrose, which is really crazy because normally, like, when it rains really hard, Montrose is the first place to flood. And I've honestly mm-hmm. never seen more than, like, half an inch of water on the ground near um, there the places downtown. Downtown's kind of, like, built as a place where uh, water will get out pretty quickly. But there is, like, you know, there's no um, – uh, the electrical's all underneath, all on the ground, so when it takes on that much water – um, uh, more than it's ever seen before, um, it, uh, some structural problems happen. So, um, so I was changing in the process of changing Theodore Rex over, sorry, uh, Oxhart over to Theodore Rex. And honestly, that Thursday we had had our first, uh, our first soft opening. And then we were like, okay, well, let's close Thursday, uh, sorry, Friday and Saturday for the hurricane. And then we'll just reopen back on Sunday. And it became very apparent, uh, early on, on Sunday that that was happen um i guess houstonians are, are used to hurricanes just kind of passing by and so while we take it we, we take it seriously we also we've I've, I've just gotten kind of accustomed to it just being like there'll be a hurricane scare there'll be some issues around town but um people uh, will go try to get back to life as usual and it just wasn't one of those things um the, the restaurant took on just under two feet of water and so all of our all of our new new stuff is now kind of like lightly used and uh so you know we spent the last couple of weeks uh, replacing drywall um trying to figure out which pieces of equipment isn't safe to turn on kind of assess our damage and 
Um, you know, we're very lucky that all of our staff are healthy um, and safe, um, and I can't really sit down and feel too awfully bad for myself. We're uh, we kind of we're fortunate that we were set up to be able to kind of manage ourselves if something like this happened. Um, but you know, it, it, you you feel kind of bummed every once in a while. Um, but then also really re-energized uh, by all the hard work for everybody, for from people who really have lost everything. Um, not only you know, not only property, but like a lot of the memories and things like that are irreplaceable. So I would say our heart goes out to them the most. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so one of the things both of you guys touched on this, uh, and I'm interested in hearing how each of you is kind of grappling with it. The, the vulnerability of, of your employees, we know that Houston has like 330,000, um, you know, residents in, in the leisure and hospitality industry. A lot of folks dependent on hourly wages and tips, a lot of folks paying for health insurance out of their pockets. Um, each of you guys have been able to get your staff kind of back into your restaurants and, and working again and able to, to um, you know, sustain themselves. How are you guys thinking about morale? And Justin, I'll, I'll put that to you first. I mean, you just try your best to make sure that everybody knows how lucky they are to, you know, have not been affected. I mean, we had a couple people lose their cars uh, to not been nearly as affected as some other people. And, and we have this spirit about us in Houston. It's really, it's crazy. We're just, it's just very... Uh, we, we love to help people. We love to help the, our brothers and sisters around us. Um, and so it's they're, they're excited to get back to work. Um, I think they see all the problems that the, the, the storm created, and um, we're looking at ways to try to fix them and try to give support to the people who need it the most. Um, you know, it's not, not, not always the easiest uh, to get people excited every day, especially if they're going through, like, if they're, you know, part of their house flooded or the car flooded. But um, you, you just give them something to get their mind off of it and let them know um, that they're doing something great for the city. Yeah, and how about you, Chris? I mean, it's it's really the same thing. You know, it's easy to see your staff come in, and, you know, I think, I, I think every staff, every restaurant, we have, you know, one or two people that lost pretty much something, if not everything. And so, you know, it's, it's hard when they first come in. You see them, and you're like, you're all right, and then the tears just start flowing, and then it's like, you know, give them a hug and they're all better. And it's like, okay, let's get to work and let's fix it. And, you know, Houstonians are resilient and they're strong and they're, they're very dedicated to their own. And so, you know, we'll take care of our own. We'll do what we can. Um, you know, I guess that's, that's kind of what we'll do and that's who we are. And so that makes it a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Joe House, I want to I want to yeah, add please. something, and one reason why I wanted these guys on your podcast is because, as you can see, with such a you know horrible event that happened with Harvey, you know, and it's something about not just the industry of the of cooks, and it's also the people of Houston that they're always not worried about themselves as much as other people, and one reason why I want these guys to speak is because I want to be able to help them because they're never going to ask for it themselves, and I think what's the best thing that we can do as fans of Houston food, as fans of your cooking, what can we do to support you guys? I don't know. You know, it's, 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 you're right. Like we don't, I don't think either one of us like to really talk about it. Um, I, I think one, um, Justin and I are doing Southern smoke coming up, um, which is going to be our benefit. That's for, uh, Houston food and beverage professionals or food and beverage industry. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's basically an application process that we, taken and borrowed from the giving kitchen in atlanta um and so <clears throat> be an application process then a verification process and then a fund distribution uh network that's going to be set up um but it's a big barbecue that we're going to do um october 22nd and uh lots of silent auction stuff and lots of like chefs coming and hanging out and cooking and just bands and having a good time but trying to forget what we're doing but also trying to remember that we need to raise money for you know, it doesn't really matter whoever applies that's in this industry. It could be a farmer. It could be a delivery driver. It could be um, somebody that works at a drive through window. It could be one of our dishwashers. It doesn't really matter. It could be anybody, um, cook, staff, just anybody in this industry that really needs a little bit of help right now. So that's kind of what we're going for right now is to, to try and take care of that. 
And then on the other hand, we also need to remind people that this city is open still and that, um, you know, to get out and go eat and go drink and go hang out and come to the city and do what they have to do is like, <clears throat> you know, have your conventions, do your things, you know, that's, that's still part of it. It's still business as usual for the city. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the best way that anyone can really help out is to, you know, if you're from out of town, keep Houston in the back of your mind as far as your travel plans. Like, we're an amazing city. We have a lot of great culture, a lot of great restaurants, both from, you know, the things that you have to discover on your own, like little mom and pop restaurants in Chinatown, to nice restaurants like One Fifth and Underbelly, and hopefully Theodore X when it opens and has some provisions still. You know, honestly, one of the better run festivals I've seen in a really long time, maybe just, you know, making some travel plans around maybe visit the south in Texas and and put Southern Smoke in your plans and, and you know, enjoy a really fantastic day out and, and, and just know that the best way – I guess, like, I was always – none of – neither Chris or I, like, really like ever, like, asking for money and without working for something that, that you know, we don't we don't like taking handouts. We want to earn. We want to earn the ability to say that we did it and say that um, say that it was worth for you to you know give us give us your money to help other people or help ourselves even sometimes. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, knowing knowing the the best way to do it is you know you know come get down to Houston, get your ass down to Houston, and come <laughs> to our restaurants and drink and drink uh, drink at our bars and, and have a great time. So that's uh, obviously a huge takeaway um, for today. Houston Food and Drink open for business, um, and we encourage everybody to get down. Now, one of the questions um, I had for you guys in terms of just the logistics of of getting your your feet back under you, how are you finding your supply chains and and how you get at the important elements of of you know building your food? I mean, I you know Houston right there on the coast, so much of of what Houston food um, has to offer the rest of the country is is seafood. How are you guys finding, um, you know, that the recovery efforts in terms terms of your supply chains and the and the ingredients that you use in your cooking? And I'll I'll start with Chris on that question. I, I think for the most part that's all pretty much okay. I think um, oysters are going to be, you know, I, I I'm curious to see what the oyster beds are going because you have that much water run up into fresh water and then and then you have it come back into the estuaries through the, the Gulf Coast. I think that's the oyster population is going to be, you know, it's probably going to get shut down for a while. I perceive that to happen. I mean, it's going to happen all the way through Texas, Louisiana, and Florida and Alabama. I can, you know, I can only imagine. Um, but like sitting there just after the storm and just being like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, and I've got Hammerton just kind of doing this hybrid underbelly Hammerton menu. And like all of a sudden, like farmers start showing up. And like, hey man, we're just coming to check on you, see if you guys need anything. Like, we're ready, we're up and running, like we got everything. And I was like, yeah, all right. So that I'm gonna open underbelly tomorrow, you know. And that was the deciding factor for me is that the farmers were ready to go. And you know, we'll get a little bit of staff in, and we'll see who can come in, and we'll see what happens. And <clears throat> you know, that was what what when the supply chain's there, it's time to go. So I mean, that's how it worked for me. Personally, right. You know, I mean, you want to you know. support. You want to support that. You know, they're in the same boat we are. Right. How about you, Justin? I mean, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing. We have a uh, we both of us use pretty much the same same people as far as um, the as the supply as the supply goes, and it seems like most of the farmers are ready to go. I mean, they, it was you know they're in they're in the same situation as us, whereas if we're closed. They're they're suffering uh, a little bit and not not being able to uh, continue to r- raise their you know their birds or the pigs or get uh, vegetables out of the ground um, you know and and it's actually it's pretty amazing too like they hate talking about it more than we do like my main <laughs> bird supplier lost you know uh, two full skids almost two hundred birds um, you know and and he's he's gonna be it was a lot put it, that he put in and it's gonna lot still to be to build back up and and one of the guys uh gunnerman acres he lost 
everything. Everything. Palaces. Everything. Is all his all his products and you know. But the thing that he said to me was that was the most hurtful for him is that he had to let fifteen people go. Right. He's like, I can only afford to keep like three or four, and I had to let fifteen. And it was like not the farm part; it was the staffing thing. So, right. you know, he'll get Garrett will get back on his. He'll get back in his feet, but it's you know, I mean that's that's the most heartbreaking thing. And again, the best thing that we can do as chefs is continue to buy from them and make sure that we're supporting them. And hopefully, the best the best thing that other people can do is come can still and continue to support us as restaurant owners and chefs. Well, one of the things, Mr. David speaking, one of the things that I don't think, if you don't know, Justin Yu, Chris Shepard, two of the best chefs in America, you know, cooking in one of the most promising, most exciting food cities in in the world, quite frankly. And I, I don't know if a lot of listeners realize that, uh, you know, not every chef, but a lot of the good ones, like these guys on, on this podcast, uh, work diligently to, to buy from the right places. And by supporting, uh, you know, these guys in the restaurants um, that you, you, you love so much, it really does have this trickle-down effect to other people that do it the right way. And it's one thing that I just want to, you know, support these guys however I can. And, and just hearing these stories, it's like, you know, what, go, what, what you eat on your plate literally comes from somewhere. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot for people to think about. And I know that this podcast in general is, is always funny and informative, but I think that it's really important that people know what's going on, particularly in Houston, because if you have haven't been to Houston before, you have to go, and now more than ever, uh, because it, it is a very vibrant food city, and I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of these guys and the, and the food city as a whole. Well, I, I'm somewhat Im- embarrassed to say that I've never been to Houston for food. I've been through Houston uh, as a kind of way, way stop down to Mexico, and I've stopped in and seen a little bit of sports, but never really sat down and took on the food scene. Um, and, you know, it's... it's uh, not not ironic, but you know, interest. We we had on our schedule of things to do with this this podcast. We're going to be a traveling show a little bit, and Houston was at the very top of the list because of the incredible moment right now in in kind of Houston food and Houston food culture and the particular um, diversity of of ethnicities and cuisines and and so forth that has really contributed to this moment. Um, can we ask each one of you guys to talk a little bit about, I know both of you have been in Houston for a long time and that Houston has changed in the years that, that you've been there. Can I, can I ask each of you to talk a little bit about your experiences there and, and that sort of in, incredible food moment that exists in Houston right now? And I'll, I'll start with, with Justin on that. Yeah. I mean, I was one of those that I was, I was born and, I've been born and raised in Houston and it just seemed like a very natural part of life. The, the diversity that is, it just seemed like there's people of all different sorts of colors, shapes, and sizes, and uh, and eating around town and discovering those things as a kid was was seemed like a kind of second nature to me. So um, it would it's been a lot of fun over the last I would say the last six or seven years to see the change. Whereas like everybody kind of considers Houston and Texas overall to be a very uh, kind of Republican, very close to the vest, eats only like steaks and fajitas and things like that. And to recognize that this is this is a city that you know is is way more than that. The, the not only like um, food culture, but like art culture and and um, the diversity of people and the different diversity of of different industries around town um, really have helped us um, grow as as people and as a city overall. And the, I think the self-discovery process over the last few years has just has been amazing to see. It's like uh, it, it, it's odd to say, but it was it was interesting to see how we accepted ourselves more because uh, people from an outside perspective started realizing how great the city was overall um, from a lot of different aspects, and just pointing out things that we just thought were everyday part part of everyday life that is just really special to the this entire world. Yeah. And how about you, Chris? I didn't grow up here. Um, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I, I moved here in 95. And I came here to go to culinary school, and I was just going to move back to Tulsa and just work there and see what happened. And, and that's what caught me here was the food scene and the culture and the people and everything around it. It was like an eye-opening experience for me coming from Tulsa small town to Houston and, like, 
oh my god look at all these people look at all these like it's it's so different and like the food is amazing like grocery stores oh my god like it was just it was overwhelming to me as a young cook and that's when i made the decision that this is for me and and to see it evolve in the way that it has you know and to see Houstonians want to learn more about themselves in the same aspect through their food is pretty much pretty pretty fantastic to see what's going on you know and it's it's having guys like Justin and and Ryan Para and Seth and Terrence and I mean the list goes on um, of people that are just pushing hard not only just high end but at places like I think Justin one of your favorites like Sandong Dumpling House. Like to see what they're doing and see how correct it is and see how delicious it is and it's just like all these places around, whether it be high end or low end, it doesn't matter. People are just doing good things, and when people are all just doing good things, the food and the art scene and everything else just it becomes, I don't know, amazing. Is a great word for me to say. <laughs> well, how, like for folks like me who haven't been to Houston. Um, What's the right way to think about how a food tour should should go? Obviously, we're visiting both of your restaurants, but where else? And and help me and help the listeners kind of think about you know the the, the various cuisines that we might be confronted by on on such a tour. I mean, well, first of all, get a car. Okay, <laughs> gonna get a car. Got it. All right. Where am I going first? What's my first restaurant? No, you're you're going to Chinatown first. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. I agree. With Chinatown. You. Like the Vietnamese, Vietnamese, lots of Vietnamese food, lots of Chinese food. Um, uh, it's probably uh, some of the best. Go ahead. I would dare argue that it's the best Vietnamese food I've had anywhere. Yeah, it's that good. I mean, really. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, I'm just getting oh. so excited, and my mouth is salivating thinking about eating all the delicious things. Where, because listen, every time I go down to Houston, I say the same question you just asked, Joe. Where do I eat? And they've never steer, steered me the wrong way. You know. Um, can't go wrong. No. Okay, so we're starting in Chinatown, and we're going to get some... Um, Depending on some... what time of the year, because if it's crawfish season, then it's a totally different thing. Right. What's that mean? Oof. But you would if still go to Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, you're going to Chinatown, but like those restaurants then, like the, the order of list that things happen <laughs> definitely changes when it becomes crawfish season. And then it's going to yeah. be everything, you know, in my... That's just me. I, that's the first stop for me. Okay. So so then 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 where next? Um, we have a Mahatma Gandhi district that has really amazing Indian food. Um, yep. Everywhere Indian around town. Yeah, really great. Uh, southern Head food. Head up to Long Point, have Korean. Korean food. And uh, actually, you know, Houston actually hasn't been known for its barbecue over the last several years. and The scene has just picked up so much. There's a lot of really great barbecue restaurants around town, too, now. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that Austin used to dominate us on that, and that's just not the case anymore, so. Oh, you're you're saying Austin, uh, and by extension some of the Hill Country. You're you're saying that Houston is on the come up. They're not. You're not taking second seat anymore. The Houston barbecue folks. Is that what I'm hearing? We're we're on our way. All right. All right. <laughs> we're on we're on the right path. We're not going backwards here. <laughs> I got it. I got it. What about Viet Cajun guys? I don't think Joe House knows what that is. I don't know what that is. What is that? It's kind of like that weird cross-section where Vietnamese food and Cajun food kind of like meld together and like the, the type of spice and the type of funk and the, the that kind of like it's more of like it, it even it's more of a feeling than it is like an actual flavor honestly oh yeah well what's the feeling you say it's more of a feeling what's the feeling what am I going to experience what's the sensation it's just like well you're going to be sweating your ass off yes yes but then, like, but then there's just like everybody is in the same boat as you. It's like, and then you guys are you're trying to figure out how to get a beer to you without getting crawfish spice all over, all over your beer. And then you're looking at the guy next to you and the table next to you, and everybody's trying to figure out the same exact thing. Which is what? How to survive? How to how to like. Eat, well, eat and drink at the same time, and it's oh. it's a matter of like it's it's just it's like a level of togetherness where it's like you're for like the next hour and a half you're, you're like you're making weird jokes and, and drinking beer and like it's sloppy and it's like and it's just kind of like the best time ever. 
Just yeah. Is there a time of year um, on the calendar when when the, this is especially a high point? Like February, February to June. Okay. In those months, is crawfish season. But then you also have when it's not crawfish season, they'll do basically the same things with blue crabs or oh. uh, clams. And then if you're going to go to these places, you got to get a turkey neck. Oh yeah. Like the turkey neck is where it's at for me, and you know mm. it's just. Man, I want to go tomorrow. No, the turkey well, neck, Joe House. You would the turkey neck is really. It just doesn't sound that amazing, but it yeah. really is one of the best things you could ever have. Um, and back to that feeling on um, eating via Cajun. You know, when I eat via Cajun, what I love about it is like you get the feeling that anything is possible, right? And and I mean that it's like it's just there's no pretension. But you look around you in the room. And it's always one of the most diverse crowds you've ever seen. Yep. And you don't expect that in Houston. I'm seeing every kind of ethnicity. I'm seeing every kind of, you know, wealth from poor to wealthy. Everyone's sharing the same experience, and they're trying to eat something delicious and wash it down with a cold beer. And it's a kind of flavor that I, I've been saying this because, like, I'm a huge fan of it. It's the most exciting thing that's happening in America today in terms of like cultural food type of thing is via Cajun. And I know Chris is, is a huge fan of it. Um, and I'm so glad that he's turned me on to it because it's like the best of America. That's the best way I could describe it right now. Mm-hmm. And the, like soulful and, you know, a communal is what it really is. And like you said, you walk in and it's everybody in the same room doing the same things. And like, you're definitely going to hold the door to the bathroom so the guy can go in and wash his hands off. Like, not get it all over the walls. It's, it's just, you would pull a napkin roll out for somebody, you know, it's, it's just communal and happy and it's a good place to be. Is there a portion of the city where this goes down or is it all over the city? Chinatown for the most part, but there's, there's places that have popped up all throughout the city. But I mean, I, I'm, I religiously go to one or two places. Are you allowed? Are you willing to share the names? And in a lot of backyards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, backyards! I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, crawfish and noodles is my my go-to every time. Yeah. Okay, I mean it's I'll go other places, and then sometimes I'm just like, why don't I just go to crawfish and noodles? <laughs> it's I it's mean, a consistency thing. It's and, so goddamn you know, good. Simple as yeah. that. Like everything is good, not just the crawfish or the blue crab, um, and that whole area. Uh, all the Vietnamese food in there is unbelievably good. So again, I'm super walk excited to talk about. You can walk next door and get chalua, you know, the Vietnamese bologna that's made right there. And then later on, you have bologna sandwiches. Like, there's so many <laughs> options. You know, go to the grocery store across the street. And, like, it's, it's, it's just all right there in that part of the neighborhood. So if you do come to this, you do rent a car, you do go down Bel Air, and you do eat. And you spend the day. I hate to overcomplicate things with logistics, but here's, here's my concern. If I spend a day like that, the amount of beer that I'm going to drink, that means that the car that I've driven into the neighborhood is going to stay in the neighborhood. Let me ask, how's the Uber down in Houston? Good Uber? Good Uber in Houston? We have, we have good Uber. Top-notch Uber. Yeah, okay. but for That's the most a- part, you're only going to drink the beers at the crawfish joint. Oh, okay. A lot of the other places, that doesn't exist. You know, you may be able to, but a lot of places are like BYOB or, or they just don't have booze. You know. Oh, so it, this is really the the food over the the drink um, in terms of the the ranking and how you might spend the day. Yeah, because then you come back to this side of town, and you get some Dita Steves, then you get some bitter cocktails, and you're good. Oh, oh, I got it, I got it. Okay, and at that point, you just walk around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you come over to the museum district, you go hit the Manila up. You, you know, it's a uh, make a day out of that for sure. I love it. So it sounds like there's two trips to Houston that need to happen, at least for 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 House of Carbs, and maybe we'll rally some troops. So the October we got to come down for the event. It's October the 22nd. Is that the date? Yeah. And and what's it called again? Southern Smoke. And and it's not just you guys. There's a lot of folks doing some cooking for that, right? So it's myself and Justin and Seth and Terrence and Ryan, and this is the Houston Barbecue Collective, which is going to be growing this year. And this year, it's Aaron Franklin. Um, oh, we know him. Yeah, and Rodney Scott, um, yeah. John Besh, Ashley Christensen, and then Mike Lotta and Jason Stanhope from Charleston. So, and is it is this is it going to go all weekend? It's not, or is it just the one day? Just one day. 
Just one day. Okay. It's literally a four-hour festival. Is it already sold out, or is it, are nope. tickets still available? Tickets are still on sale. Yeah. Tickets All right. Are still on so sale. that's we have the October trip lined up for for Southern Smoke, and then uh, what's the best time? You said February to June is the period, but when when's the when's peak excitement for the for the Viet Cajun experience? I mean, it's got to be February to June. It's, it's otherwise, if you go past June, it gets a little gets a little warm over here. Well, I'm just saying, like, do, should we hustle right down? Is it is it a February one? Is it middle February? Is it is it March? Like, what's the very when's when's everybody going crazy? I'd say I mean, after after Valentine's Day for me. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Because yeah. you may start to see, just depending on weather, you may start to see crawfish in January, but you may see them up in July. But July they're too hard, and January they're too soft. So. Like you said, after Valentine's Day is when it really starts to it really starts yeah. to get good. March, yeah. April, perfect. Well, guys, uh, I'm going to talk about a few relief efforts that we've seen, um, uh, and and uh, have you kind of validate. But we also want to just thank you immensely for taking the time today. So, in terms of relief efforts, we know the Louisiana Restaurant Association is teamed up with the Greater New Orleans Foundation. And there's a Hurricane Harvey Hospitality Employee Relief Fund to help cover some of the vulnerable folks um, that may have, you know, either temporarily lost their jobs or permanently lost their jobs stepping in. We know food donations to the Second Harvest Food Bank. Um, that's still an important thing. Um, and, and, you know, that those donations need to keep coming in. And then we know that a whole bunch of Houston restaurants are donating a portion of their day's proceeds to various charities um, to continue to help with the hurricane relief. Um, what, is there, what am I leaving out? Am I leaving anything out, guys? I mean, besides the mayor's fund, uh, obviously the, the Houston Food Bank always does really great work. Um, and then different restaurants around town. Um, I know uh, there is uh, – I know Clark and Cooper is heading up another fund. Uh, I think it's Houston Hurricane Relief Fund as well. Um, where where they'll be offering grants as well. So there's there's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Well, that that that's outstanding, and thank you thank you very much, uh, Kristen. I didn't want to step on you. Do you have any other suggestions? No, I mean that's that's there's a lot of them out there. So okay, all right. You know, for us, I just focus on Southern Smoke and the mayors, and you know, the food bank is really strong. So that, that's, that's awesome. Everybody Fellas, needs a little bit of help though. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's what we wanted our listeners to hear, and that's why uh, Dave Chang ne- is never wrong. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, really appreciate you taking some time out of uh, your own efforts to get yourselves back uh, going again. And, you know, the message for everybody out there from House of Carbs, get down to Houston. Houston is open for business. Get down there, eat and drink. Um, Chris and, and Justin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Big love, big thanks to Houston chefs and Houston residents, Chris Shepard and Justin Yu. And, of course, thanks also to David Chang. Quick shout-out also to our Houston homie, the Ringer's own Shea Serrano, raised over $100,000, over $130,000 to be specific, all in the name of good Houston causes. He spread out all of that money raised by the FOH Army to a whole variety of Houston charities. Get on the Shea Serrano Twitter stream, and you can check out all of the ways that he raised that money and got it directed to important Houston causes. That might be another way to get some of your hard-earned dollars or some non-monetary resources down to the folks in Houston. We're going to pivot over to some food news as we do here on House of Carbs with Juliet Littman. But first, a quick word from some friends at Sun Basket. Podcast peeps, as we settle into our fall routines, it can be tricky to keep our weekly dinner rotation interesting, finding new recipe inspiration or tracking down hard-to-find ingredients, it makes it tempting to fall back on the same old go-to meals or reach for the takeout menu. That is why I love getting fresh ingredients delivered to my door 
via the good people at Sunbasket. Sunbasket sends you organic and sustainable ingredients along with globally inspired recipes. Each recipe is created by a James Beard award-winning chef. Her name is Justine Kelly, and her meals are all approved by nutritionists. Choose from paleo, lean and clean, gluten-free, vegetarian, and family options. All of Sunbasket's meals come with pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow directions and cook in around 30 minutes. I, my own self, just last week, an unbelievable wheat spaghetti accompanied by collard greens, a chicken breast, caramelized onions. I tell you, the onions and the garlic together with the collard greens and a wonderful quarter cup of of the pasta water from the wheat spaghetti. This thing was so rich and unbelievably filling. Of course, I ate it all in one sitting. That's how I do it, but it was remarkable. I should have taken a picture next time. I promise I will. My friends, go to sunbasket.com slash carbs today and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash carbs for $35 off your first order. That's a lot of money. Sunbasket.com slash carbs. You know, I have gotten to know a lot of restaurant owners, and what they've told me is that it is hard to turn a profit in the food business. But what if there was a point of sale that has been proven to increase profits? Well, there is. It's called Touch Bistro, and it is an iPad-based point of sale rated as the number one best restaurant POS for three years in a row. Touch Bistro can help your restaurant make more money by speeding up your service, turning over more tables, and increasing those check sizes. Because of its mobility, servers are not running back and forth. Every order is sent directly from the iPad to your kitchen and bar, meaning your servers can spend more time chatting with your customers helping them understand your wonderful menu and getting them to order all those extras with their meals. I'm always ordering all the extras, my friends. For the month of September, Touch Bistro is giving away a $25 Amazon gift card to the first 200 restaurant owners who complete a live demo of their POS system. Just go to touchbistro.com slash carbs and you get 25 bucks in your pocket just to find out how Touch Bistro can make your life so much easier. That's touchbistro.com slash carbs. Touch Bistro, the point of sale that helps restaurants succeed. All right, my hungry friends, as always, joining us now, the managing editor at The Ringer and host of the Bachelor Party and Jam Session podcast, the one, the only, Ms. Juliet Littman. Yo! Hi, House. What's up? How are you living, Juliet? I'm living large. That's the way I like to hear it. Now, listen, I have a quick uh, question for you. Yes. I joined... Um, I joined the Podfather himself, Bill Simmons, on his uh, Friday podcast, mm-hmm. and our mutual beloved friend uh, Mallory Rubin joined. And one of the topics that we um, discussed was Mallory's upcoming um, uh, week away, which didn't seem like enough after all the binge moding she's been doing. <laughs> yeah. Seemed like, you know, she used to take off a month. I asked her how many Juliets she might drink uh-huh. um, while she was on her sabbatical. And uh, again, only a week. Um, and it wasn't like a, a, a very big number. And it made me wonder to myself, and I want to ask you this, how, um, how much has the Juliet caught on there among the Ringer staff? Um, Mallory's a beer drinker. Did she tell you that? Because it's true. Yeah. Beer yep, and whiskey. She so she's That's what she said. Yeah, she's a beer and whiskey drinker. So um I think the concept of it has caught on, fortunately. However, I don't know if many of my colleagues are as vodka friendly as I am. Um oh. I just I just want to say, personal note, I had um many hours of drinking on Saturday. And oh. at the end of my day, the vodka was switched to Tito's. And it honestly, I was just thinking about how I just was like I I swear I can taste the difference. Like I just, it just, it just changed. Like people, people don't believe me that there's a difference in vodkas, but I could tell. 
I just feel like I need to. Did I, you, I need the world to know. Did you know when they switched it? Well, I was. Or did you first detect the taste no, and then say, "Hey, something's different here." I knew when they switched it, but I was not. I just like Im- immediately changed my vibe. I don't know. I think I have. I might have a personal allergy to to Tito's or something. I feel. Yeah, cool. I'm so mean to Tito's, but I'm, I'm sorry. It's just not for me. <laughs> it's not for you. They still could be a wonderful sponsor of the House of Carbs or <laughs> or maybe even this segment, which needs both a, a name and a, a jingle. We're still um, open to name naming rights and jingle rights. I think we have a sound drop. Kyle, don't we have a sound drop? What? Nobody told me that. Nice. Drop it like it's hot. Come on. How about that? <laughs> House of Carbs growing up while we speak. Seriously. All right. There, I bet there's some news. There is news. Let's start with a story from Mashable, which is about KFC. KFC's been in China for a while, and now they're trying a new technology where all you have to do to pay is smile. According to Mashable, a KFC restaurant in Hangzhou, China, is testing new facial recognition payment system. The new payment method is called Smile to Pay, and it was launched in partnership with Alipay, the popular mobile and online payment platform created by Alibaba. The company uses facial recognition technology, and it only takes about two seconds to scan someone's face using a 3D camera, to, and it combats fraud because it's like using your biometric information. Uh, customers who decide to use a new facial payment method also must enter their phone number as a second form of authentication. What do you think, House? Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's very easy to smile when you're at KFC. If you've if you've gone in there, you've made it all the way to the moment where you've placed your delicious order. They've received a delicious. There's been acknowledgement that your delicious order is on its way. If there, there's no better moment for a smile than that than the pay moment because that's the last step to getting your delicious crispy crispy chicken. I I mean that's what I would go for. I'm a crispy chicken kind of fella. Um, or, or the mashed potatoes are also to die for. So um, I I like it. I like the psychology of it as much as I like sort of the transactional aspect of it. Would you? What do tr- you think? Would you trust KFC to have all of your biometric information? I think this um, facial recognition stuff is going to be in sort of all walks of our lives. Like I, I, I've heard it on, on good authority that this could be the way that you get into a stadium mm. um, to attend a sporting event or a concert. Interesting. Uh, and are, that may ultimately be the way to defeat the, the um, scrupu- unscrupulous uh, um, secondary market. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Are you familiar with Clear at the airport? I, I I know of it. I don't know what it what it does. I finally got myself into TS into pre last year. Oh, nice. I feel like that's a big a big accomplishment. Yeah, it's like it's like the private version of TSA PreCheck. It's like you pay fifty dollars and you hand over literally all your fingerprints. Your they scan your eyes, like everything, and then that's how you that's how you go through security. You don't even need to have your ID on you because they have your fingerprints and your your retina scan so it's well, ve- it's very similar i i did it and i kind of regret it i'm just like i gave this company access to my my personal not just my personal information my biometric information but if people are going to do it for kfc i guess i can do it to get on an airplane well and i i will tell you this uh i have noted the lines for clear are are very clear <laughs> to, to use a terrible pun <laughs> They're they're wide. The clear lines are wide open. Yeah. So if that's all it is, I mean, I'm willing. There there are um, the the lines I'm willing to cross for ease of access to for for my life to be improved. I mean, I, I'm willing to give up all kinds of stuff. I I know I know. Well, also it's just like, I guess this is the future, and if this is what it takes to get your KFC, then maybe it's worth it. I I that that's for sure. I mean, this is really to me the gateway the gateway drug. To to all all of my my acceptance of all facial recognition technology in all walks of life, um, um, KFC is the perfect way to get me on board. Uh, it's absolutely. So it's like really it's a, it's a opening up a whole new world. Really, KFC is doing a public service, perhaps. Yeah. Well, we had this. You know, we talked about the um, innovation of Domino's with their. Um, driverless robot deli- pizza delivery, and we wondered aloud whether 
Um, that was an innovation. We, we, we think it could be quite um, interesting because of the scale opportunity. But we asked for some input from the listeners. And I have to tell you, I got quite a bit of feedback. I, I really am going to do this. I'm going to pick from one of the folks that, that um, showed up on the Twitter um, with some, some very nice feedback about um, the, the attributes of delivery driving that make it um, quite desirable. There were some, we got some really, really? good feedback from delivery, food delivery drivers. What, yeah. what did they say? The, 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 the folks that bothered to write in said they loved the job. They love the flexibility of it. They love, one guy wrote about how he listens to podcasts the whole time, uh-huh. which kind of makes sense to cool. me. Cool. Yeah, of um, course. And they like, you know, um, the autonomy of it. You know, you're kind of your your own boss when you're in your vehicle. Most of the time is spent in the vehicle. Um, the human interaction is mostly friendly because people are mostly excited to get their pizza uh, or, or their whatever the delivery is. So I, I think, um, but I'd like to have it validated. I think we should have somebody on um, and have a small, a short chat about it. All right. I would love to. That's great. That's yeah. something to look yeah. forward to. Right. Um, okay, moving on. More more uh, chicken news. Yeah. Um, there's one remaining place in America where if you really love Popeyes, you can go to I do. You can go to the Popeye Buffet. And it is in Lafayette, Louisiana. And you go there and it's like kind of like the grocery store, like hot bar, but only Popeye's food. And it's like, you know, you just pick out your chicken, you pick out your biscuits. It's all right there in front of you instead of it having to, like, come to you on, uh, you know, in the typical packaging. So in it's the like, boxes and the tray and all the rest of it. Yeah. It's like an oasis for, for fried chicken lovers. So I have two or three things to say about this. Okay. First of all, how great would it be if you could smile and pay for your <laughs> access to the buffet with a smile? I know that would work for me. I know when I walk up and say, oh, would you like... The buffet, it's it's uh, you know eleven ninety five. If you would like it, just smile. Bing. There's <laughs> there are my pearly whites. You got it, Popeyes. Second thing, and I'm I'm kind of surprised you and I haven't um, tackled this on uh, on all of our time together on House of Carbs so far. Popeyes is my very favorite fast food. I like Chick Fil A, and I've extolled the virtue of Chick Fil A. But in the rankings of of fast food. Popeyes is nearest and dearest to my heart because it's been around the longest. It's been in my life the longest. Uh, and I find the quality of the fried chicken to be superior. I've done yeah. a lot of fried chicken taste testing, even with places that purport to be kind of, uh, you know, chef inspired nouveau, you know, taking some uh, uh, recipes from the South and trying to transport them. I still think Popeyes stands up to that test. Here's my question to you. You were a participant, I think. Correct me if I'm, I'm if I have the facts wrong. Were you a participant? I'll put it in the form of a question in the um, Ringer fast food survey that, with the results of which were published back in March. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I figured. And uh, obviously, I, I'm on record as as having uh, expressed great dismay at the outcome of that survey because the number one ranked item based on. The um, the democratic approach taken by the the ringer infrastructure to come up with the results of this thing produced Chick Fil A waffle fries as the number one fast food item, mm-hmm. which meant obviously um, that the the survey was poorly engineered. Um, Popeyes did fare pretty well, but I'm interested in hearing what you assigned as your number one interest on that on that pursuit. My favorite fast food item is the double-decker taco from Taco Bell. Okay. So that's outstanding. Uh, that, that's, Thank you. It, it's reassuring. I wasn't I wasn't that worried, um, but I, it occurred to me while we were talking today that I, I might have already uh, indirectly- um, Offended me? You know, take, well, I wouldn't say offended, but I would have taken issue for sure. I took issue with a lot of what came out of that survey. Um, Taco Bell, I, you, while ubiquitous, yeah. is just really under-celebrated. Taco Bell is really fucking good. Like, it is just, there's so many, I think of all the fast food places, it has the most number of items on the menu that I'm, like, legit excited about. Like, the Double Decker Taco is my favorite, but I could rail off 10 things from there that I would happily eat right now. 
Well, that's part of the beauty of Taco Bell. You could order all 10 of those things, and the whole price <laughs> of the whole meal might be $9, Not, $11, yeah. $12. Max. It's, it's absolutely right. And it's always the thing that I, I admire about Taco Bell, awesome ratio uh, measurement. They they're they're always getting the right relationship between the ingredients, the amount, the quantity of beef, or the quantity of steak, or the quantity of chicken, plus however much rice is going to be appropriate, plus the cheese or the queso. They're always getting those ratios exactly right, and I, it's a very uh, e- effective, repeatable delivery mechanism for highest maximum enjoyment. That's that's my that's one of my important standards for this for this kind of thing. Yeah, of what, what you, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's also just like what can you always count on to be good? Like if there's little var. I mean, I know the thing of fast food is like little variation. But, like, the, a burger doesn't always taste the same, like, every time. Now there's a chicken sandwich. But like, what are you certain is always going to deliver for you? Taco uh, Taco Bell RFG. So that really fucking good Taco Bell. Taco <laughs> Bell RFG. That might have to be a, a fall campaign. We should we should reach out to their people and let them know that that's available. So if they I do want. think with fries, there's less variation, which is one of the reasons I kind of understand waffle fries being at the top of the list. Because, like, fries just – you just – fry the shit out of them with, like, certain spices and, like, you know, the oil tastes a certain way. It doesn't vary that much. So I, I kind of get that. Well, I I mean, I understand, like, the universal appeal of a novelty item like that. It just, it's, it's a failure in concept and a failure in execution to have a voting system that permits that thing to rise to the top. Because it's never better than a double-decker taco from Taco Bell. It's never, waffle fries are never better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Waffle fries are never better than Popeye's spicy fried chicken. You know what I mean? We yeah. could do 10 of these items. They're never, waffle fries are never better than an unbelievable egg McMuffin from McDonald's. I mean, we could do these icons, right? The icons are what deserve the accolades and the, and the proper place in the top 10 ranking. Waffle I don't like egg McMuffin's house. I'm sorry. I get that's fine. That's you just get what you understand the point I'm making. Sure. There are there are nine or ten or twelve iconic food items. Waffle fries don't crack that. They're, they're, they are not a franchise player to use as something that's in the current the current parlance. Um, maybe an unpopular opinion. I think the most iconic potato product in the fast food world is the McDonald's hash browns. So they're that's spectacular. The McDonald's hash browns are better than Chick Fil A's waffle fries. They're so they're o- good. I would ha- I'd love OG. one right now. You and me both. <laughs> By the way, you just reminded me. We have another story or two to conquer today. I, my own self, Lay's has three new flavors out right now. I was able to pick up bags, the two bags. I got the taco Lay's and I got the fried tomato Lay's. I didn't open either one of them. I knew we were going to be recording a food news. Let's get all three bags lined up and let's get on here and chew some chips in the people's ears. All right, let's do it next week. Next week, we're doing it. Done. Done. Okay, another story. So Lafayette, Louisiana, go there for your $10 uh, Popeye's buffet. Moving on. More, more, this isn't really fast food. It's fast casual. But news Mm. coming out of Chipotle. This week, they are officially launching their queso nationwide. Um, It's... Back in July, Go they, ahead. back in July, yeah. they began testing an artificial ingredient-free take on queso, and it was only a matter of time before it spread to every location. This story, by the way, comes to us from Refinery Twenty Nine, and a press release last week uh, confirms that across three hundred fifty locations, it was a success. And while the recipe will be slightly different based on where you are, it's coming to your local Chipotle people. You can get queso. So here's my reaction to that. No shit, it it was, it was wildly I know. popular. I know. Hey Chipotle, welcome to the dance. Everybody loves queso, brother. I mean, what what took so long? I don't know. Apparently, they just were looking for a way to do without preservatives, and it's like, okay, cool. It's still really bad for you. Still cheese. Like the cheese that comes straight from the cow is still really fatty. Well, I I don't mean to oversimplify this. I'm sure the science behind this is complicated. Um, they've been serving cheese. It was it was one of the elements of the offering from the very moment that the, the very first Chipotle opened. If you're serving cheese, that means that the queso can't be far behind. It took this long to come up with a version of it that was preservative free. Great point. I'm a I'm a little skeptical, but I'm I'm glad to have it. I Welcome st- to the dance. I still go to Chipotle. Many people abandoned after all of their many issues, but I still go. Oh, I don't. I didn't. I never stopped. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not. I'm sure this is unpopular, but like, I'm not. I'm, I'm issues free when it comes to to verse. I I drink Coors Light and I love it. Um, I eat Chick Fil A and I love it. I mean, I'm I I understand the the place where politics can inform people's buying decisions, and I totally respect that. I just like delicious shit. This isn't so, even political. I'm just talking I'm about sorry. people got food poisoning. Oh, I thought I thought yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'm glad to know where you stand, House. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm going for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, eat what you want, people. But uh, for me, that's chip, that's still Chipotle. I still love it there. Their chips and their guac are still great. Also, sour cream really under underrepresented in the restaurant scene, but not at Chipotle. They'll give you a lot of sour cream if you want it. And that's another one that they're able to serve fresh. Now, I don't know if, the, the again, the elements of sour cream are so distinct from what you build into queso. I understand they're totally different ingredients. But, like, just in terms of that solving for a pre- preservative element, um, it seems like if you can serve sour cream, which was an OG original, uh, you know, item you could add to your, your delicious taco or your taco bowl or your burrito, the queso shouldn't have been far behind. Absolutely. I agree. Anyway. Anyway, welcome. Okay. We're happy we're happy to have it. One more story for you, House. Hit me. This is exciting. There's a new kind of chocolate. It's pink. It's called ruby chocolate. It was introduced last week from a chocolate manufacturer based in Switzerland, of course, where all of the good chocolate and the good watches come from, called Barry Kalubah. I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry, people. Uh, it is. Some are calling it millennial pink but others are calling it ruby chocolate. It offers a new taste experience, which is not bitter, milky, or sweet, but a tension between berry fruitness and luscious smoothness. It comes from beans that are grown in Ecuador, Brazil, and the Ivory Coast, uh, but genetically they're nothing new. They came from the same species of cacao plant that that begets the chocolate we already know. So I just want to say, this is new to us. I'm assuming people from Ecuador, Brazil, and the Ivory Coast are like GTFO people in Switzerland. We know about this. <laughs> this is not a new plant you've invented. So this is this this. There's a company, and and you just said it's Berry Calibo. Yeah, they're the world's largest cocoa producer and grinder. Yes, that's and and they are introducing this this chocolate. So basically, it's a great big distribution platform for 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 chocolate. It's not this this chocolate has has been in existence. Right. Uh, obviously, you could go to the Ivory Coast or Brazil or Ecuador and enjoy this delicious chocolate, but now it's being delivered to the people. Um, I hope that that uh, the folks in Ecuador and the Ivory Coast uh, and and Brazil. Upon the the terrific response that the rest of the world is going to give to this, because I think the idea of a chocolate um, where there it describes that tension between berry fruitiness and luscious smoothness, daddy like. I mean, that sounds delicious. I I think that would go great with a with a with a nice uh, oatmeal cookie. It sounds like it would go great mm, with um, some some vanilla ice cream. Like I can think of a lot of different accompaniments. Obviously, this is a chocolate that can stand alone if it is indeed the intense sensorial delight that these berry called about people or however you say that name um, are to be believed. But uh, let's let's I hope the the indigenous the indigenous producers of red cacao. Uh, can step up and give us, give the people, you know, some some red chocolate, some ruby chocolate choice out there. I just want to say this is an incredible coup of marketing because clearly it's not new, but it you'll be hard pressed to find a story that's like the uh, you know like new to the market or whatever. Like this is just really really good PR. I'm just really impressed. I, I respect their game. You and me are in the same boat. The stories that are that are making the rounds is like new first new chocolate in eighty years. Yeah. You know what? That catches my attention. Exactly. Good like, job. Hey, really new, good job. New, new chocolate. Yeah, I'm in. I'm into new chocolate. Of course. People, How could it possibly be that this chocolate wasn't already discovered? Well, the answer is it was. Of course. Right. But I yeah. love. I just. I love a new dessert though. It's exciting. Like maybe, me too. Like will there be like some some ruby chocolate molten cake? I love a chocolate molten cake. I would like to experiment oh with different kinds. Think about a ruby chocolate malt or a ruby chocolate milkshake and the ingredients that you could mix into that delicious milkshake. That would like the be ruby amazing. chocolate milkshake at Shake Shack. Get the fuck. Come on now. Let's do that. <laughs> you know what's a really underrated dessert in general? Talk to me. 
the Chili's molten lava cake. Chili's has a really good chocolate cake. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. It's really good. That, if you're willing to go right. to Chili's, which I am. Of course. You know who has great queso? Effing Chili's. Chili's. Chili's has unbelievable <laughs> queso. Queso and molten cake. Juliet, next time in, I'm in LA, and I think it's like in two or three weeks, oh, we're go going ahead. to Chili's. Excellent. And we're going we're gonna to have some uh, Chili's molten cake, and we're going to have some Chili's queso. We're going to go real old school with it. Okay, you and good. Me. I can't wait then. Yeah. We got to do it. We got to do it. Thanks for having me, House. Always a delight to talk to you. Always. I can't wait to hear the music for, for Food News. And let's also come up with a new name and let's see if we can get Tito's to sponsor this thing. Oh my God. That would be I so need, great. I need to have a, a summit meeting with Tito's. I want <laughs> I, I want to love them. People love them. But for some reason, we're, we just haven't found our, our groove. But maybe one day. We'll get there. Thanks, Julia. Bye, House. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, my friends, that does it. Thank you so much for the listen to yet another edition of House of Carbs, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Big, big love and big thanks again to Chef David Chang, Chef Chris Shepard, and Chef Justin Yu, and of course our own Juliet Littman. My podcast pals, please keep up the outstanding belly sourcing. We want more feedback. Next week, we are going to have the Lay's chips test that Miss Lippman and I laid out. We're trying three new flavors of Lay's potato chips. We're going to tell you what we think. And we would love for you to keep the belly sourcing up on our email, houseofcarbsfans at gmail.com. Please be sure to give us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week with another episode. But until then, my friends, let's stay hungry out there. 